Hello, Politicology Plus, uh, and a special welcome to everybody else who's listening in from the main podcast feed. We had a really great discussion today about AI, so I wanted to share it with you. So we unlocked this episode as a preview of Politicology Plus. And if you'd like more episodes like these on at least a weekly basis, and you want to support the work we're doing here, and you want an ad-free listening experience, come on over and join the community at politicology.com slash plus and sign up today. There were a couple of AI stories that caught our eyes this week, but there was one from Axios that I think frames up a lot of the conversations that we're having about AI. There's a a quote from Axios this week uh, from an AI pioneer at Davos last week. Uh, Quote, this is the first time a technology platform comes embedded with values and biases. That's something countries are beginning to notice. So when AI systems are trained and uh, deployed, their creators have to make choices about which points of view they present, what limits they'll place on it, and whose values system they'll respect. AI makers will regularly talk about um, the alignment problem, uh, or alignment meaning how an AI system aligns with human values. But our human values obviously are deeply contested. We fight about them all the time. Axios used the example of saying your AI chatbot is trained to respect human life, but then you have to decide how it handles conversations about abortion. You can put limits on how systems discuss race or anti-Semitism or anti-LGBTQ tendencies, but those are value judgments. There have been several studies showing that ChatGPT holds a left-leaning political bias Uh, Last February, ChatGPT would write a poem praising Joe Biden, but wouldn't do the same for Donald Trump. Um, Internally at Politicology, we even tried some experiments, and this bore out uh, very obviously. Uh, Things get even trickier when you consider this happening on the global stage. So these models will be created in countries uh, like the U.S. and China and used in other countries that have vastly different values. And those countries could put pressure on AI makers to tailor the system to reflect values in that country for things like women's rights, uh, think Middle East. Others could pressure the AI developer to limit criticism of the government or to be more critical of political rivals. And with that backdrop, there are a couple of stories that I wanted to highlight here. One is that OpenAI, the maker of ChatGPT, quietly removed their ban on military use of their tools. They removed the language from their website uh, a couple of weeks ago. The move was as OpenAI begins working with the DOD on AI tools, including open source cybersecurity tools. Another story is that OpenAI banned the developer of a bot that was designed to mimic Dean Phillips. The Phillips campaign had contracted the developer to build uh, Dean.bot, an AI tool that could talk to voters in real time uh, via a website. They should have just hired Ron DeSantis. OpenAI's terms of service prohibit it from uh, using it for political campaigns. There was also the story of the deep fake robocall from a fake Joe Biden uh, discouraging people from voting in New Hampshire on Tuesday. We actually have that here. We know the value of voting Democratic when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. We'll need your help in electing Democrats up and down the ticket. 
Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. Now, you and I can probably tell that's a robot, but if you just picked up your phone and Joe Biden's voice started playing, you might not know. Uh, How are you guys thinking about the potential for different AI systems pushing uh, different values? And uh, who wants to lead off here? Hagar? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, all right. On, On values in general... Um, I have a I have a good anecdote on about this for you. I recently gave a talk last week. I gave a talk to a middle school, to my son's middle school, and uh, on the most significant national security crises. And I shared my story. And then I and I and the four crises I picked. The last one was AI. And the examples I had in my in my talk were so terrifying that I reached out to the head of the middle school beforehand. I was like, I'm just, I'm a little worried that either these are too terrifying for middle schoolers, some of them are too terrifying, and some of them end up giving them bad ideas because some of them were tied to to, um, ways that middle schoolers and high schoolers had had been using AI to defame their principals and and female colleagues and so on. And he was like, "Yeah, I don't know that we want to. We want to scare everybody, thinking that that a drone is going to go shoot them. So maybe you could give some other examples." And so I gave examples of how, like, the weekend and Drake, uh, that there was somebody made a song using their voices to have this uh, to to make a music video. And it, aside from the copyright and legal issues you've got there, you you have the real concern of a voice. And so that's how I did that, right? A voice being used. Um, to 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 say something and and in fact that that's not a real person and imagine that in an election I gave an example of um of a of a Keanu Reeves uh, account on TikTok that says unreal Keanu Reeves so it's not they're not pretending to be real but I didn't know myself that it was an AI bot I thought it was a doppelganger I just thought the guy looked eerily like Keanu Reeves because you can tell something is off but not why and anyway so I gave I gave these types of examples I gave you know the the there was there's a famous one of, of Obama and so on and and I tried to put, paint this against the idea of you know what happens if this is, you know, during an election and if this is used for political candidates. And I can't believe that was only a week ago because now this week you already have this news about the robocall and, um, and Dean Phillips. And, and so, but, but let me highlight to you the scary examples that I didn't give to them. And, uh, so the ones, the, 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 May, and I'll and I'll give you the scariest, which is relevant to what we're talking about, um, about this military, the use of military use of AI. Military use of AI is not surprising to me. It's not surprising to me that OpenAI is working with DoD. Um, they need AI in their unmanned aerial drones. We've been it's that that's been the case for a while. That doesn't mean it's not risky if it's unregulated, because and and this was the this was one of the biggest points that the quote Godfather of of AI Jeffrey Hinton who worked at Google, who stepped down. This was the big thing he kept trying to convey in his interviews when he stepped down was he was very afraid of unregulated AI. And one of the examples he gave was, what if, so you've got drones, fine. What if you have robots that start that start pursuing war for us? Not only will the war be easier to pursue and countries will be more inclined to pursue it because they'll think, oh, well, I'm not losing a body. I'm losing, you know, it's a robot. But imagine the robot, how is the robot 
supposed to distinguish between an enemy combatant and an innocent person. Imagine telling a robot that you are in fact innocent. And that is a very dystopian, terrifying uh, world that we could find ourselves in. But, but, but Jeffrey Hinton, it sounds crazy. But, you know, he said, he's like, I, I, it's not that crazy. Oh, if it's, it's not, not regulated, we could land there. So we have humanoid this, robots right now. I mean, the, yeah. they're, they're not they're not really uh, commercially uh, viable yet at scale yet. But they're de- like you could you go on YouTube and Google humanoid robots. They're quite advanced now, and they're all powered by AI. Yeah, so, and the thing that yeah. I just you know when OpenAI says, "Oh well, but there, our policies are X Y Z. You can't use this to inflict harm and so on." That's nice, yeah. but um, <laughs> I just don't think OpenAI is the only AI software out there, oh, number yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. And number two, I just don't think that bad actors care and that they'll do it yeah. for as long as they can. So it's very risky. Yeah. The, on, the, on the regulation point, the only thing I would, I would uh, inject here is that um, it, we need to be very careful that as we, if we get around to regulating AI, that we do it in such a way that it doesn't stifle other competition in the space. Because, um, you know, if you if you understand how regulatory capture works, it's no wonder that OpenAI, of course, is on the Hill lobbying Congress saying you've got to regulate us because they want to close the door behind them for the most part. Uh, the big companies that have a lot of money to spend on lobbyists are the ones who stand to gain the most from uh, strict regulation around AI. So it's got to be done in a very thoughtful way that, um, that allows uh, good competition um, in the space that also uh, keeps people, I think, safe. Um, there have been a lot of stories uh, about the potential for people to create deep fakes of someone and use it to scam a family member or a loved one. But Mike, here we're seeing the fake call from the president no. of the United States, and it's just January. Yeah, okay? exactly. This isn't. This, and by the way, that that bot was like amateur hour yeah. compared to what is what, what these systems are actually capable of. So, how did you react to the robocall and and like as as we've thought a lot, talked a lot about information warfare, even before ChatGPT existed, um, which is bizarre because when, when we were in Ukraine talking about this, 20, 2022, yeah. uh, early 2022, um, ChatGPT hadn't even been launched at that point. And now it feels like the entire world of information warfare has completely uh, changed. changed. Yeah. Um, and it will change. Think of how fast it will change yeah. over the next two years since, you know, in the, in the next two years or, or let alone through this election cycle. So and first, let me just open by saying we're going to see extraordinary things this election cycle that we have never seen before in campaigns. And a lot of the reasons is because the sophistication of these tools is not only dramatically being enhanced, but they're being used by actors who are far more sophisticated than your, than your average campaign operative. Um, so we, we're going to have to be very mindful and even, you know, as much as I, you know, say be careful i I don't not even sure what to be careful for or of or how or how now when i saw this robocall i was like whoa there it is there's the beginning right like that's this was like that moment where cnn's running this clip and i'm having coffee and i'm almost spitting it out going okay everything just changed campaigns have just changed the good news is with that robocall i mean it was it was a suppression effort to try to to convince democrats not to vote that it somehow would be hurting uh, joe biden or the democrats and um we saw something extraordinary in New Hampshire, which was not just this incredibly high turnout amongst Democrats mm-hmm. to have the president win by a write-in candidacy, 75-25, yeah. right? Which is, so clearly it didn't work. But even what else 
people are not taking into account is you also had thousands of Democrats showing up to vote against Donald Trump. So it's an extraordinary like Democratic turnout. So not only did it not work, right, we had the exact opposite going on. And that, that gives me some hope. Again, we don't know how pervasive this was. And it was extremely rudimentary uh, in, what, in the way that it was put out. Um, but you, it was a glimpse into where this is going. The, the entire consulting campaign, consulting political profession is, is on the cusp of just changing dramatically. When I say on the cusp, I mean, it, we're already over it. I mean, it, oh, it's happening. The, and it's happening under the surface. You don't know about and, it right now, and, but they're actively. Yeah. And we don't have the tools or the, or the architecture, the political architecture or regulatory um, you know, framework to, 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 to regulate it. Like no one was saying this was paid for by, you know, the Donald Trump right. or by and, the Russians. And, and we don't, we still, I think, don't know no. who did. And we never will. And by the, by the, and for, to, to put in the efforts, time and resources to figure out who did it, uh, they will have already advanced three times in the technology to do something somewhere else. And then prosecuting and the time and all this stuff is, we're at a time where technology is moving at such a fast pace that government regulation can't keep up with it. Which gets to the first point that you brought up, which is essentially what we're asking for. In a real, I don't mean to be too foundational and take this too high level, but we're That's actually what we're creating is the, is the fundamental question of the, the ancient texts of most religions, which is: is this inherently good or bad? Uh, is what we're creating inherently good or bad? And what what devices can we put inside this technology? to determine what is good and what is bad and what is good and what is bad right and so these are these are the foundational questions of humanity that we're 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 we're, we're literally writing into this new technology that is taking humanity to this next phase and i guess we can only hope that it's as good as as the ancient texts or maybe as bad as the ancient texts depending on your perspective and ultimately, that's what it comes down to, is that this is the struggle of what our species has always dealt with and will always deal with. We're just about to deal with it in a way that we have never um, seen before. And that's going to come with a lot of good and a lot of bad. And that will always be the struggle. When I think, by yeah. the way, you know, when you talk about what's good and what's bad, and, and Ron, you had started off asking about the values and yeah. and the moral question here, and it's that... It's already, I feel, I don't know. I mean, I'd be curious to your own experiences, but the, the the issue you have when you have anything that's synthetic media and generative AI is that it creates, and I think, Ron, we've talked about this before, we creates the liar's dividend where yeah. it is very difficult to discern fact from fiction, fact from truth from fiction, <laughs> the truth from a lie. And, right. um, and I already find as time goes on more and more, whenever I see any kind of video from a world leader, anything now, it, even if it's on a reputable outlet, my first instinct is to question if it's true. And I, and I start researching and researching. I don't know that a lot of people are doing that, but both ways oh. it's bad because either you have people believing something that may not be true, or you have people wondering, well, is that true? Did they really say that? Is that video real? Is that photo real? you know, how much we could end up spinning our wheels and trying to figure out and verify when something is accurate could real, could do so much harm to that, that, that it undermines will. everything. Yeah. It, 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 it will do so much harm. That's yeah. the world where we're not entering now in it. It's going to be the hallmark of this era that we're in the uncertainty and doubt and skepticism 
will ultimately lead to cynicism among broad swaths of people. And this is, we've talked about this a lot, Mike, about uh, this is exactly what Russia wants. This is exactly, but uh, so, but we're now in this sort of period of history where it is unavoidable. It is happening. It's going to be, it's all around us now. And if you, Hagar, are, your first instinct is to question whether something is real. And uh, ordinary people are already picking up that instinct. They're already picking up, like, I'm not even sure what's true. You know, I, I'm going to talk a lot more about this on another episode. Uh, but recently, I listened to a discussion with, uh, with John Rausch, uh, who's a Brookings Institute uh, fellow. He's just absolutely brilliant. Wrote a book called The Constitution of Knowledge. But in this discussion, he was walking through um, exactly how uh, the uh, sort of the blocking and tackling terms how another Trump presidency would very likely end liberal democracy as we know it. That's his argument. And it was far more banal than you would imagine happening. But one of the key points was, you know, let's say Trump's got his, you know, temporary uh, appointees in cabinet too long and the Supreme Court's like, you can't do that. The issue in order, like you have to send him to Congress for confirmation. And he's like, fuck you. I don't really want to because they're not going to approve him because they're bad people anyway. And he defies a court order. And all of a sudden, there's a big conflict between the Supreme Court court order and the White House and the presidency. And ordinary people's lives won't change really that much. Gas prices don't go up because the president defied a court order. And a lot of them will be wondering about whether or not that's even true. Half the country will be wondering, well, I don't even know if he's really doing that. I can't even tell because the information landscape will be so polluted. So I think these biases, values, questions uh, that are embedded in these systems ultimately will create uh, different markets, marketplaces for these tools. You will have, just like you go to the app store now, you define an app, there's an app for that, right? You will have an AI for that. Um, whatever it is you want to do, whether it's playing an election you know, fake Joe Biden's voice or, uh, or blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. Don't know. Program a robot to go do that without your fingerprints on it. And maybe nobody will know who blew up the pipeline. Can I offer uh, something I a little do bit we, in light of all that? Sure. Sure. Something a little yeah. bit. Um, if all of this is true, and I believe that it is, that can leave a lot of us kind of swirling in this real deep pool of cynicism, as I think is mm -hmm. appropriate. I'm not suggesting anything you're saying isn't accurate or isn't coming or isn't already here. So where does that leave us as individuals in this space? And, and I, the, 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 as I think and ponder these questions and have been regularly and as it becomes more real, the best and perhaps only thing we can do is, is good, is, is individually, is, is do what you know to be true, to be honest, to be right. And if you want to look at this from a technology standpoint, view yourself as one data point amongst billions. And the more you behave, the data trail you leave, the life you live, the thoughts you think, the way you act, the way you present to the world is a data point that will guide technologies out there. May win, may not, but you are creating those markets, you are creating those opportunities, and you are becoming a revolutionary act in a world of misinformation. And that's, that, that's what I think this next phase is all about. 
And again, I think it's just, it, it is that constant eternal struggle of our species is are we inherently good or are we inherently bad? We can debate either if it's that black or white or how much it is or how much it isn't. But the ultimate message of the ancients, regardless of your faith tradition or your science or irrational or rational you know, belief systems, ultimately comes down to is are you good and are you bad? And is each act and each data point that you offer the world a good one or a bad one? Because that will be in our technological DNA being traced going forward. So, so be good. That's all you can do. Mike, that's all you can do. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. In response to the question, who are we? Ask, who are you? Hmm. I love that. Hagar, do you have any other thoughts? Um, no, though, you know, well, first I agree and I'm hopeful that that, because it's, that's, AI is supposed to mirror human intelligence, right? So I think that is the right, that is the right solution. I think that um, just, I had two thoughts that came to mind. And the first was, I am afraid that, uh, not to prolong the cynicism here, but I am afraid that, um, come on, Mike just gave us all an out from this. I know, I know, and I, but, but listen, I'll give one positive and one negative. And so the negative okay. is that, um, this will only further create a world of conspiracy theories. And it's oh, something yeah. you used to see before September 11. This was something that was very unique to authoritarian countries that, you know, because they could never tell what was true and what wasn't. And because they knew their governments lied to them so much that as a result, it bred a people who harped on conspiracy theories. And you already see that you have QAnon, you have all these, right. And I just, I, the last thing we want to see is, is, is that getting worse? Um, but I think that that's inevitable with technologies like this. But on the other side, this does remind me when we talk about these technologies moving that fast and the government being unable to to uh, regulate it quickly enough. Um, it does remind me, and I do think that there's hope for this. Uh, and you're already seeing the government look toward this system in terms of regulation. They end up often imposing the enforcement of rules onto the private sector because the government can only do so much and they can only keep up with so much. And so, and it's something very common that we used to say when I worked at the treasury department in counter illicit finance was that the banks and the financial firms, they were on the front lines of combating illicit finance and that they had to implement systems in their own businesses to prevent them from being abused and exploited to maintain their own reputation. And I think that you're going to see the private sector do the same thing, right? Instagram, for example, and every, every other social media platform on there, they're, they're, they're not going to want to be known as mm. the place where you can't tell uh, truth from fiction. So they're going to require that you, that you put a note when something is created by AI. And if you don't, you'll get kicked off the platform, right? So eventually, but but that's going to take time and it's going to be difficult. Yeah. When, right? I saw I saw um, a statistic said that, that there are 500, no, I'm going to get this wrong. How many million tweets are posted per hour? Mm. It's something astronomical in the millions. And it's something that feels very impossible to regulate. But um, yeah, that's my hope for the regulation side of it. Not yeah, as I think that, I think as, that's helpful. As Mike, I just don't know that all people are so good that that. Yeah, that, they're not. Of course. Yeah. Not. Um, I I will say that you, you reminded me of this. Uh, so uh, we we I, I I get these emails from um, Facebook's internal uh, like political advertising teams because they keep they keep advertisers up to date on what they're doing to control, uh, um, you know, the types of advertising you're allowed to do, especially politicals. They have been um, updating their rules about. Uh, political advertising 
uh, and they they're going to require this cycle that if you are posting anything that they're going to allow it, it's synthetic media. Uh, but they will require you to disclose that this was you know not a real place, not a real thing that was said, or the person who's saying it didn't say it. They will make you check a box that says um, uh, that that basically discloses this is AI generated work, something like that. So it's something, but I don't think that. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a good. I don't think there's a really good regulatory solution to the bigger, bigger picture. But I do think that the question of how you respond in this information landscape is um, is probably the most it's the most useful one to think about. And I think the way Mike framed that up was was really perfect, really beautiful, and elegant. So, okay, uh, politicology. Plus, hope you enjoyed this discussion. Um, as always, if you have thoughts for us or topics you want us to cover, uh, we have a dedicated inbox just for you. That is plus at politicology.com. And we're going to do some listener questions soon. Mike and I are going to do a Q&A tomorrow. I'm, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I love that. Buckle up. Buckle up. Uh, all right. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.